Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. We're a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, you just mentioned to me that you've been to our P.O. box and picked up a bunch of packages. I've been P.O. box diving, Ben, and I've come up for air with four packages. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. When you came up for air, did you do that cartoon thing where you, you blow out of your mouth and like a, instead of a fountain of money like Scrooge McDuck, it would be a fountain of packages? It's a fountain of packaging peanuts that, that came out when I blew. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Those usually melt when I put them in my mouth. I like that they're made out of potato starch these days. Yeah, better than styrofoam. I think that's good, but uh, they are no less annoying to deal with. Yeah, they get everywhere. Ben, our first package is from Molly, and she is from Philadelphia. Love Philadelphia. Uh, We're going to be in Philadelphia two days from now when the show drops, so great timing. Yeah, if, uh, if it hasn't already sold out by now, get your tickets to... Greatest Gen Con 2, Star Trek 3, in Philadelphia, two days from now. Yeah, we're doing the dinner theater at World Cafe Live, so uh, get yourself a nice meal. Yeah, it's a really fun venue. Molly has included some business cards for a company called Adopt-A-Tribble, the Tribble Orphanarium. Oh! I exchanged some emails with Molly, I believe. The letter is alluding to what is inside. It looks like we've got a couple of mugs. I'm opening a mug, and yeah! The uh, the mug looks like a Wesley Crusher sweater, and on one side it says my son, and the other side it says the boy. Wesley, the boy. The boy. Young Wesley Crusher. My son. They are beautiful, Molly. That's right. They turned out great. The letter goes like this. Ben and Adam consider these mugs. A token of my gratitude for completely ruining Picard and Wesley's relationship for me. <laughs> if people want to find them, they're available at adoptatribble.com, and everything in the shop is 10% off for GG listeners using the offer code, you guessed it, SCARVES. Wow. <laughs> Looking forward to more of your finely crafted dick and fart jokes. Live long and prosper, Molly. Molly! That's, that's great. Thanks, Molly. Molly really gets us. Molly doesn't joke shame. Uh, Also included in here are a couple of pins. Nice. These pins look a lot like the mugs, and uh, they say shut up on them. (laughs) Shut up on top of the Wesley Crusher tunic pattern. So great job, Molly. What a delight. Great job making a thing out of a joke. We love that. Yeah. Our second package, Ben, comes to us from Jonathan Heffler. Our second package, or our Klingon package. Right. Uh, Yeah, the power position goes to Jonathan Heffler, uh, straight out of New York, New York. He's from one of our our beloved sponsors, Heffler & Co. The designer of of the Uxbridge Shimoda corporate uh, identity. All right. I wonder what could be in here. There's a letter on top. 
Hmm. Letter goes like this. I thought these might make a fun icebreaker keepsake for the friends of DeSoto at your next greatest Gen Con. Either that or you can use them for your next 125 drunk episodes. Thanks for everything and best wishes from your loyal viewers at typography.com. Wow. Yeah, so, it's actually company policy at typography.com to listen to the greatest generation, which their HR department has really been having a nightmare with. This is so awesome, Ben. What we have here are hundreds of coasters. Oh, man. And what the coasters say is the blue drink of blank and then hashtag greatest gen at the bottom. <laughs> so you can modify it to your own specifications. They are a delight. I will totally bring these on tour with us. What a great thing. And the coaster that uh, Jonathan uh, filled out himself uh, said, drink the blue drink of gratitude. So Jonathan, our pal, the director of Heffler & Co., uh, thanking us. That's super cool. For, uh, for all the hours of pod. Okay, so here's the second letter. P.S. I recently had the pleasure of taking part in a Netflix documentary called Abstract, The Art of Design for an episode about typography, which is dropping this week. At one point during filming, the director and DP and I were talking about ideas for a practical effect, and I summoned my inner Adam Pranikid to suggest (laughs) maybe we could use a split diopter. Wow, To his credit, the DP did not tell me to fuck off. (laughs) <laughs> and stick to drawing fonts, but instead asked warmly, how do you know what a split diopter is? I confess that it had come up a couple of times on this podcast I listened to, which is <laughs> the one place I've learned all three or four things that I know about film production. Man, that is a, that is an embarrassing admission to have to make. <laughs> Jonathan says they're good guys with a sense of humor, so it's possible you got a couple new friends at DeSoto out of the deal. But also... It was a really great segue into talking about how you can love something while not taking it too seriously, and how there are other ways to talk about things critically besides being deadpan earnest. Honestly, I really think this conversation about your show helped set the tone for the episode that we made together, which wow. I hope you'll enjoy. And Red. when I flip over the, the letter, there's a picture of looking down the barrel of a camera. It uh, looks like uh, they're shooting on a red weapon and uh, a split diopter lens. Wow. Hanging off the cool. end of the camera. Uh, shot POV from the uh, perspective of Jonathan Heffler. So, That's pretty cool neat. story. Yeah. It's not all dumb stuff on this show. How did, did they just have, like, I, I don't think that you get you get a split diopter out of the rental <laughs> no. place. No. Without having a specific plan to use it, that's pretty nuts. That they're—I mean, I guess if—I mean, they're—they're they're in Manhattan. There's like ten equipment rentals in Manhattan. I guess you could probably get it on somewhat short notice if you really wanted it. Yeah, that is definitely not a part of the lens arsenal for shooting interviews. I'm thinking your, that your standard lens kit does not contain that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I'm thinking this has got to be an owner-operator situation, and that That's guy just really had it cool. in the bag. That's But what a lens to have in a bag. Who... I know people is, who own whole lens kits, and like, there's no way anyone I know would ever own a split diopter lens. It's rad. This is the this is like the poster child for bring all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Wow, thanks, Jonathan, for that. Uh, really appreciate you and all the support you and yours have given the Greatest Generation. Yeah, super cool. Much appreciated. Third box here, Ben. Is from Perry from Honolulu, Hawaii. We remember Perry from uh, Max FunCon. Oh, yeah. 
Perry gave us some great edibles at MaxFunCon, and by edibles I mean treats from Hawaii to eat. And by treats from Hawaii to eat, I mean not filled with marijuana, just like <laughs> macadamia nuts and uh, yeah. and other things. Yeah, those were like, I mean, there's something really special about fresh mac nuts from Hawaii, and that was not lost on my wife. Who I, I just like put some of those in a bowl, and I was I was snacking on them, and she kind of just like idly walked by and and had one. She was like, "Holy shit, these are so good! They're <laughs> Where legit. Where did you get these from?" Wow, Perry has sent us uh, a care package that is positively loaded with the good stuff. Hell yeah. Two more mugs, Ben. Uh, we've, we have a lot of mugs to choose from for, for tour this year. This is great. Beautiful matte black mug here that says T. Earl Grey uh, in Starfleet Burgundy type. Nice. Now we are getting to the foodstuffs. We have got... <laughs> Hawaiian Tropical Lavash. Macadamia Nut Lavash. Wow. This looks delicious. We also have chocolate chip Arare cookies. Is Lavash the uh, that lady that dated Captain Picard for a little while? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. That's how he refers to her in French, right? Sleeve of cookies here. Made fresh in Hawaii by the Ono Cookie Company. Cookie Company? K-U-K-I. Yeah, I guess it could be cookie. Ben, you better get your ass up here because uh, I'm going to eat these all myself. Oh, finally. P.S. De Resistance. <laughs> Two seven-ounce packs of premium gold roast Kona coffee. All right. What's the roastery or whatever? Uh, Lion. Lion is cool. the name of the roastery. I actually went to a coffee farm and roastery uh, in Kona when I was uh, on the Big Island many years ago, and uh, it's a really cool thing to go do. See how see how the, the coffee is made. Also got a couple of uh, pin packs in here. It says, commemorate the end, and it looks like uh, a pin for DS9, a pin for the next generation, and, a, and an original series pin. Pretty Neat. cool. Uh, one for each of us, and there's a postcard in here, Ben. Postcard from our friend Perry. Goes like this. I hope that you are both doing well. Thank you again for all of the great content you produce. Listening to your podcast never fails to bring a smile to my face. I have my fingers crossed that all of the snacks, etc., made it to you mostly intact. I wanted to put more bubble wrap in, but the box <laughs> wouldn't close when I tried. <laughs> I packed you some of my favorites, and I had to fend off the rest of my family to make sure that the snacks made it into the box. The pins are from this year's San Diego Comic-Con, which my parents, who are way cooler than I am, went to. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, uh, I hope that you guys enjoy the snacks, and please let me know if you ever have any requests. I'd be happy to send more. Well, here's the thing, Perry. My request to you back at MaxFunCon is the same as it is today. Both Ben and I would love to do a show in Hawaii. If you know of a place that would have us for such a show, uh, get in touch. I think that'd be a lot of fun. We could yeah, do like the, the, the braid, a very Brady Hawaii greatest gen <laughs> show out there. Pretty great. Thanks, Perry. That sounds like one of those shows that our agent would heavily discourage us from are you kidding to book. that's a show that that our agent would help to book and then go to himself that's true 
Here's the thing, Perry. Uh, none of those cookies will live to meet Benjamin R. Harrison. <laughs> I'm sorry. God damn it. I mean, they're made fresh. They're just not going to last, Ben. I want somebody to enjoy them at their peak. I want to hang out with you more often. I think that would help. Yeah. Ben, our final package. Address to Jim Shimoda Enterprises. <laughs> It's from Curtis. Curtis is from Santa Cruz. It's the biggest box. Letter on top says, Hi, Ben and Adam. Enclosed, please find two novelty Deep Space Nine-themed beers. Whoa. I saw them at my local Cost Plus. I, of course, had to immediately send them to you. I tried one myself to make sure it wasn't undrinkable. Hey, thanks. (laughs) Just in case, I also included a couple of beers from one of my favorite local breweries. I've been a viewer from the beginning, and it's been really fun seeing you guys turn this into a real thing. Wow, that's really cool. Wishing you great success in all your multi-podcast endeavors. Curtis from Santa Cruz. I love an OG. Yeah, Curtis has been with us from back in the day. Curtis did a tremendous packing job. I wish Curtis had said how uh, how they came across the show. That's like uh, like I got I brought you a box of chocolates. I ate some. <laughs> I drank one of the beers. It kind of makes me feel better about uh, these not being poison. Uh huh. Contains liquid. The sticker says. What we got here is a. Foggy Forest Double IPA from Discretion Brewing and a 10 Million Flowers, a Kolsch with orange peel and honey, also from Discretion Brewing. Uh, It looks like what we have here is a care package of beers from Discretion Brewing of all different flavors. And uh, what I really like is that these are like tall boy cans. These are big cans. These are cans thick. (laughs) Oh, and I got to the Deep Space Nine beer, Ben. This is Profit Motive Hopped Up Golden Ale uh, from Mm. Quark's Bar. That sounds great. And uh, there's a bottle in here for you and a bottle for me. I didn't realize Quark's Bar was a brew pub. Thanks, Curtis. Thanks for giving us some new podcast fluid. And thanks for being a loyal listener. Wow, it sure is a treat to uh, open up the mail from time to time. I mean, we have some very... Very generous viewers. So thanks uh, one and all who have sent us anything uh, to enjoy. We are very lucky boys indeed. But are we lucky for having watched the episode? I think we're about (laughs) to find out as we get into Deep Space Nine Season 5 Episode 10, Rapture. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No. Of course you don't. Rapture's kind of a loaded word, right? Religious connotation. Rapture is a very loaded term. There's a lot of uh, a lot of heavy shit, and just in the kind of like in the kind of like cultural ideas that they use to make up this episode, like the repatriation of stolen artwork to Bajor, right, is really intense. The like lost city ideas is like a. You know, a million stories have been told about lost cities. I know. No one's ever found any lost cities, though, right? That's not a thing. I found a couple. (laughs) Uh, Hard to take this episode entirely seriously because Ben Sisko does not know where to put the comm badge on his new uniform. Yeah, the the new uniforms appear uncommented on. This is the, the first contact vintage uniform, and 
they open the scene with them all kind of like hunched over this painting. And so Ben Sisko's uniform is all wrinkled up in front. His combat just edge onto the camera because of that. There is bad combat continuity throughout the episode, and it's specific to Ben Sisko's character. What do you think that's about? I wonder if his... Because he's wearing the, the jacket-vest combo that Picard wears in First Contact. Like, I wonder if it just doesn't fit him the way that it fits Patrick Stewart. And they're, and they're trying to mess around with how it does. I still... I would Cal Hudson the shit out of that com badge, though. I think you got to... <laughs> the com badge has got to be in the black. I think that's my personal policy. Whoa! That's, that's what I'm saying. I think that's out of uniform. Keep it in Nobody the black. Nobody wears it like that. What do you mean no one wears it like that? The black is where it belongs. No. I don't mean on the old uniform it should be in the black. I just mean that on the new uniform, the black is where the red used to be. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it's weird. Maybe they weren't sure what to do yet. I wonder when this was produced relative to First Contact. Did did we see this uniform in DS9 first? No, uh, it was a First Contact uniform first, specifically, huh. and they held them back until after the movie dropped for that reason. They wanted wow. the first screen time for the uni to be on film. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through. It does look like people put the, the com badge on the black. And like later episodes, Cisco has it on the black. I wonder what happened. I don't know. It's weird. It's a lack of attention to detail that is, frankly, pretty shocking. Yeah. You would think when you get an, the episode where you roll out the new uniforms, you would be laser-focused on how that comes across. And the fact that... Uh, just the fact that they're all, like, hunched over and wrinkled up when you first see them in this episode... Yeah. ...is by itself a strange choice. And then the com badge issue... Is strange on top of that. It's strange that the only direct comment about a Starfleet uniform that I can recall happened in Discovery when Pike's crew boarded Discovery in their TOS era uniforms. And like you actually had dialogue about them, but yeah, <laughs> but you never get in either TNG or DS9, like no one ever comments on the changing wardrobes throughout the years when it's time to change. In Generations, it's so weird because, like, it is almost random yeah. whether the characters are going to be wearing a DS9 uniform or a TNG uniform. Right. And it seems like their idea was, like, we'll start to just kind of, like, slowly over the course of the film, like, different characters will start to wear the DS9 uniform. But it's, like, unmotivated, uncommented on, and pointless. <laughs> Because they never follow that continuity in DS9, right? Like yeah. in, in DS9, the case is somewhat made that when you're stationed on a space station, you get the, the dumpy DS9 uniform. But if you're on a starship, you get the TNG uniform. Right. But now everybody's got the same uniform. But also weird in this episode is that we see an admiral who's in a TNG era admiral uniform. <laughs> there is no way that Deep Space Nine, a, a station that everyone knows is on like the in the Timbuktu of space has been issued new uniforms before a fleet admiral. That guy's an octopip. He should have the coolest uniform in the in the game. What we're saying is if you can just get past all of this uniform bullshit, <laughs> there might be an interesting story here. The story starts with everyone crowded around this painting and it's a painting of the lost city of Bahala. Yeah, strangely Valhalla sounding. Right. 
And uh, everyone's pretty psyched about it. Psyched in the way that a group of sixth graders huddled around like a scholastic order form for <laughs> for books about uh, the lost city of Atlantis would be yeah. like they're they're super psyched about this place. The uh, and and like it's I guess Cisco is kind of like pulled strings, right? Like the this is supposed to be getting returned to Bajor from Cardassia, but he made sure that. It's spending the night on <laughs> yeah, on the station. He's going to hang it above his commode for the evening and then uh, <laughs> return it to its rightful place. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's a, strange, a strange flex, um, but he's obsessed with the idea of finding this city. And the, the issue is that the, the painting depicts like an obelisk in the center of town. The obelisk is four-sided, and there's a few symbols on each side. And you can see two of the sides. But you can't see the other two sides, and therefore the information on those symbols, which would tell you the like cosmic location of this city, uh, are you know are indecipherable. There's just not enough information. But Cisco uh, is the only person in twenty thousand years to realize that a third side is reflected in a waterfall. Magnify D two. He does like that kind of like uh, that Decker scene where he, he's got the computer enhancing yeah. the image and it can kind of see around corners a little bit. <laughs> Finally, a Decker reference on Greatest Gen. <laughs> Do you remember uh, when we went to Star Trek Las Vegas, the guy in the pool that looked exactly like Decker? No. I think he was so close to us in the pool that I didn't want to do that, hey, look at that guy thing, and then have, have his cover blown. But there was a Decker in the pool, and wow. he had the totally slicked back hair and uh, and just that look, the, the smirk. That's amazing. Cisco rents a hollow suite for purposes non-sexual in nature mm-hmm. and uh, and sets up a recreation of this obelisk. And this is something that we've seen them do in TNG, like in schisms. Right. They, uh, they like put together the the operating room that they've been waking up in. Yep. By just kind of like talking the computer through it, and he gets the obelisks up in in kind of like one half scale, and is just working tirelessly on decoding the location of this of this place knowing what we know about what happens in a hollow suite whose idea was it to put carpet in them <laughs> i don't know because that's, defi- that's definitely something court could have addressed if he felt it was a problem you're not sleeping on the floor of a hotel room and i'm not laying down on the floor of a hollow suite that's for sure yeah good lord ben cisco that's filthy gross uh, but uh, but yeah, Cork comes in. He's uh, I guess Cork is trying to close up shop, and uh, Cisco has been in there, and it's three a.m. Three already, and they go to like shut the thing down, and some wharf lightning catches Cisco, and he gets knocked out. And it's uh, it's never really explained what precisely caused this wharf lightning. Like Cork gets in trouble uh, for having failed to observe the scheduled maintenance on his hollow suites, which um, given the carpet and what goes on in them, <laughs> I imagine is a very important uh, thing to be doing. Right. But uh, he tries to like brush it off on O'Brien, but it seems like this, it seems like the wharf lightning was more supernatural in origin. 
But they never really come back to that, you know? I think that's a great point. Everything after this holds together as some sort of vision or vision-adjacent thing that's happening, but this is actual practical wharf lightning. Right. Did the obelisk cause it? Did the, like, representation of the idea of the obelisk in the computer cause it? I think that's what we're meant to assume. Yeah. I, th- I don't know. I just, I, I don't love that. Whenever... Quark calls the infirmary for a Holosuite emergency. Do you think that they show up always holding priapism drugs? (laughs) They come in hazmat suits with priapism drugs. Yeah. (laughs) In the infirmary, Bashir says Cisco has post-neural shock syndrome. And it's a thing. It's it's like he's rolling, right? Like he's he's seeing all the colors and, and lights more intensely. They sent Worf right back to work after he was shocked. That's true. <laughs> Keiko, too, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're being a little more careful with Ben Sisko. Yeah. He seems like he doesn't really give a shit what Bashir is saying to him, right? No, he's he's a little blissed out. And I think that that's a weird choice also. Like, I, I was at, uh, I had two doctor's appointments yesterday, and they were, I got prescribed some uh, some pills I have to take. And, like, no fewer than three times did they, like, make sure they were making eye contact with me and say, like, you understand, you have to take this every day, right? <laughs> like, and Bashir doesn't seem to care that Cisco is definitely not paying any attention. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's weird. Cisco is having, like, the close encounters uh, preoccupation phenomenon. Right. Like, he goes home, and Jake is making dinner, and... Mashed potatoes? My favorite! Cisco is unable to get a, get it up for the idea that Cassidy Yates is going to be returning. You two had something together. I just don't know what's wrong with me! Yeah, Cassidy Yates, out after her six-month sentence for collaborating with the Maquis. Maquis? Yeah. Six months. Huh. Good for her. I thought that this was so interesting because all of my, like, cultural association with this was like, wouldn't it be, like, a t- politically terrible look for him to associate with her at all, given the fact that she has ever had anything to do with the Maquis? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, I live in a society that doesn't believe in rehabilitation, and it looks like Ben Sisko lives in a society that does. Like, yeah. the idea that she could go serve her sentence and uh, make good with her society and then come out and... It's not actually like a cloud that hangs over her for the rest of her life is uh, is actually aspirational. Yeah, I wonder if she's wearing uh, an ankle bracelet or anything though. Like, is there <laughs> like she's she's been released, but is there some sort of like monitoring situation happening? I, I want to oh, know yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, is she does she have a, a PO that she has to report to periodically, and she's like not allowed to leave the station? I mean, this is all interesting world building that I sincerely would like to know more about. What is the entire judicial process within the Federation when it comes to crime, punishment, and rehabilitation? Right. So, Ben is getting back to working on his obelisk, and he's back in the hollow suite computering away on this when he gets a phone call from Admiral Watley. Do you know Tim Watley? Yeah, dentist of the stars. This Octopep who has some pretty momentous news. Pajor is entering the Federation. Excuse me? I mean, to a certain degree, this show has been building to this moment from the start, right? Will they or won't they? 
It sure has. Yeah. I mean, like that was that was one of the many adventures that was set up as as myth arc in the in the first episode. I think that one that they've kind of abandoned was like the all of the orbs of the prophets being collected. Like there's definitely not like a legend of Zelda like we got to go to the eight dungeons and get the eight orbs. Yeah. thing going on at this point in season 5, but for sure they are uh doing the, you know, Bajor will will they won't they enter the federation. 106 episodes into DS9 and we finally know who the Bajorinchular is giving the rose to. <laughs> it's the Federation. Yeah. Yeah. Quark's had 106 episodes to prepare, and he gets the wrong banner out. Welcome, Klingons. <laughs> Not that one. I love that. Yeah. He'll have to. He'll have to try and see if he can get it right on the Bajorinchular in Paradise. <laughs> The uh, UFP glassware was broken out, though. Everyone's drinking out of the new glasses, so he got that right. Uh, that's cool. That's neat. Were those just the donation glasses that he got when he got kicked out of the Ferengi Commerce Authority, though? That was what my headcanon was thinking. Like we, all this, <laughs> all this background and soft focus stuff. We need yeah. some confirmation about Cork. Definitely, like I bet Cork's bar now smells like a vintage store. You know. <laughs> Like everything is secondhand in there, and it has that smell that is unmistakable. Yeah, that comes from a secondhand store. It just smells like old box. <laughs> Dax and Quark here uh, ask Kira how she's feeling, and this is a question that really should be asked more often. I think. Yeah. You know, five years ago, I didn't think Federation membership was right for Bajor. She's come around on the idea, though. Yeah. This is complicated for her for a lot of reasons. Reasons that uh, that she's fairly good at articulating. Like it's it's weird, and it's gonna be weird, and that's okay. Like sometimes you say yes to the Bajorinchular, like on on camera, right? You know, during the season finale. But then, <laughs> then when the when the show's over, cooler heads prevail. Right. In the inter, in the intervening months, you realize that uh, this is not a like. This was not a great life choice, right. doing this all on a on a reality show. And that's fine. Yeah. Kira's smart. <laughs> She's going to turn it into a reality show of her own. Yeah. I like that this is like a really jovial hang for everybody. Like, like Worf is actually in a good mood. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a pretty, a pretty exciting and unusual situation. Yeah, because he's usually the Debbie Downer of any social event. Right, like if anything, Kira is the most down character, but she's even like looking forward to this. Right, and she admits, like in in the like five years that I've been working with you guys, and specifically with Captain Cisco, like the like I've come around on this. And they're like, "Hey, why?" Speaking of Cisco, <laughs> where's he at? And uh, he is still up in the Hollow Suite. And uh, you know, this would be very worrying if you knew that your boss was locking himself in a room, obsessing over his obelisk like this, <laughs> he would have some concerns too. But unlike Kira, you might you might actually knock before just walking in. Yeah. A hollow sweet addiction should be taken a little more seriously than it is yeah. in this episode. Uh, I, I agree. Cisco is really starting to talk a little crazy here. He's having visions. Yeah. Visions of the past and the future. Yeah, when Kira walks in, he is not present at all. And she has to, like, literally shake him out of it. And I really love how, like, explosive 
Avery Brooks's performance was when he when he comes back to reality. And uh, what they talk about is that he was like experiencing like a waking dream that they refer to as a patem far. A sacred vision. He was, uh, I guess, having like an orb experience sans orb. He was having tantric orb. <laughs> yeah. This is a moment in an episode where the rules are different when you're the emissary. Because if you are Dr. Bashir sitting akimbo beneath the Bahala monument and talking this kind of shit, uh, I think you would probably be taken to the infirmary and taken off duty. Right. And any number of things. But yeah. Uh, Cisco gets different treatment. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good point. Like the emissariness of him means that Kira leaps to different conclusions about what is going on. And I think it's crucial that it's Kira that finds him, right? Yeah, exactly. She's always going to be more deferential to a faith-based explanation for what's happening. Right. Even though that answer could be dangerous to people in the real world. Yeah. I thought that it was it was very interesting that they don't ever solve for what is going on with him like the I mean he he gets worse and worse over the course of this episode but it leaves unanswered whether something transcendental would have happened to him if they if they would have let it let this thing run its course yeah yeah uh just in case you were feeling good about yourself or your circumstances never (laughs) here comes Kai Wynn to piss in your cereal (laughs) and Kira greets her at the airlock it is Caddy as usual. I see working beside Captain Sisko all these years has had quite an influence on you. Yeah, uh, she's she's pissed that Sisko isn't there. She feels like she's being snubbed by the emissary. Kai Wynn is joining a club there. Like, everyone's getting snubbed by Sisko this episode. Yeah, I think she's also salty that, uh, that Bajor is entering the Federation. Um, and she kind of speaks to the position that Kira had at the beginning of the series, which is we've only had five years. We need time to we need time to be our own planet before we become a member of this huge interplanetary consortium. Right. It's like when you break up with someone, you need to take some time to figure out who you are before getting in a new relationship. Yeah. I mean... Bajor needs some me time. I guess so. <laughs> Are you saying something, Adam? No, I'm just saying that uh, sometimes when you go on the uh, Bajoran chiller, maybe you're not <laughs> ready for that kind of commitment. Yeah, well, I think that that's... You shouldn't go on the Bajoran chiller to begin with <laughs> if that's not the kind of... If, that, if that's not the kind of uh, commitment you're prepared to make. Bajor just wants to be famous. That's the problem. Yeah, you Bajor make bad decisions. Major wants to be on TV first and foremost. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I love to hate Kai Wynn. Yeah, that's what she's there for. She's great. What are you doing now? Back in the hollow suite, Cassidy Yates walks in on Ben Sisko. Cassidy. Jake said I could find you here. 
She is surprised that Captain Sisko is happy to see her, but it's not that he is. He's just sort of coasting off of spire shrooms. <laughs> and that thing happens when you come back from a place that you've been for a long time and all you want to be is home but you're coerced into leaving again and doing something else. And Cassidy is like, I don't really want to go on a trip to Bajor. I just got out of jail. It would be nice to sleep in my own bed. And Ben Sisko's like, no, it's going to be cool. It's getting to run about and go. There's so much in this scene that is like baffling because like you can tell that she's a little bit relieved that he's he's blissed out on Obelisk. I didn't know you'd be happy to see me. Because it means he's not rejecting her upon her return. But then he also says, like, oh, yeah, like, your quarters are exactly as you left them, which is something that he didn't have to do. Yeah. That's a pretty sweet gesture on his part that would bespeak that he is going to be prepared to welcome her back with open arms. But because he's blissed out on Obelisk, you can't separate the variables. You don't know whether or not that was, in fact, where he was at emotionally. Yeah, and Cassidy knows none of this, basically. Right. She just thinks he's just cosplaying as as Captain Picard doing some uh, artifact thievery. If you're Cassidy Yates, you're also relieved that Captain Sisko still has affection for you in a way that is welcoming and kind. Like she she sort of walks into the room a little bit on guard for what she's going to find. And that I think she's more willing to forgive a weird road trip at this point because it's related to the idea that she's been welcomed back into his life. She's relieved enough to go to the Star Trek caves with him where they, you know, they're deep underground. Uh, He uses a phaser to cut a giant hole in a wall and uh, there on the other side of it is the ruin of the obelisk. There it is. Bahala is in the Star Trek caves. It was there for (laughs) 20,000 years. It was there the whole time. It would have been great if this had been an Easter egg, like in all previous Star Trek caves, like the <laughs> the episode where Picard and Worf and Dr. Crusher were <laughs> ninjaing through the caves. A very eccentric set construction guy. Yeah, they just it. happened to walk by an obelisk. Like, I wonder what that is. Well, who knows? <laughs> We cut back to the security office where Odo, Worf, and Kira are arguing over quarters for the visiting Starfleet brass like it's the seating chart for a wedding reception. Yeah, you can't sit Admiral Aunt Anne next to next to him because she hates him. Necheyev sits alone, right? I, th- I think she gets she gets like uh, like in the center of the dais, right? Yeah. Necheyev probably leaves before the music starts, right? The the, the <laughs> dance portion of the evening. She's, uh, she's mysterious, but very dignified. Kai Wynn uh, interrupts the proceedings and wants to talk to Kira about Cisco. Uh, she has some pretty serious doubts about whether or not Cisco will forgive her for doubting him, seeing as how uh, the whole Bajorantular thing is coming to a close. She is focused on the conclusion to the Bajor story in a way that few others are because... She's low-key wondering what her role is going to be in a post-Federation Bajor relationship in a way that I wonder why Kira wouldn't or Ben Sisko himself doesn't express up until now. Everyone's life is going to change after this membership happens. She's such an interesting character because I kind of get this sense when I, you know, like the, the leaders of big religious organizations 
often read to me, you know, if I hear them talking on the news or whatever, as somewhat disingenuous in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, I almost wonder sometimes if religious leaders are people who are so scared of their own lack of faith that they kind of like overcompensate by becoming leaders within a faith tradition. And I think that that's kind of what Kai Wen is. And then she's faced with direct evidence that Cisco is what everybody says he is. Yeah. And that causes kind of a crisis for her because she was happy to kind of play the game as long as there was no, I mean, she was really thrilled when there was that other guy that was, uh, was the prophet for half an episode. Because she could kind of push him around. Yeah, I mean, religious leaders really live in an area of of certainty edging, you know? Yeah, so I... I don't know. I th- I thought this was a really in- like great timing in this episode where you see her in the kind of pre-discovery of Bahala state where she is uh, a little bit pissed that she has to deal with Cisco and now she's like, "Fuck! I hope Cisco doesn't announce that I'm not the Kai anymore or something like that because it would be pretty hard to argue with him at this point." Kira and Kai's conversation is really interesting because. Kira kind of falls into a conversation trap that results in Kai Wen taking great umbrage with the idea that Kira doesn't believe Kai Wen's sacrifices during the occupation are equivalent to Kira's. I was in a Cardassian prison camp for five years, and I can remember each and every beating I suffered. It's a more resistant than thou kind of argument that they have, and it's awkward. Because I don't think Kira really recognized that Kai Wen also made sacrifices and she was in prison while Kira got to hold a gun. Like, those are two very different situations during the occupation and they both deserve recognition for what it means a person has lost. I agree, but also Kai Wen is a scold and will never right. miss an opportunity to scold somebody. Yeah, exactly. So like, like, I think that it's reasonable for Kira not to think of Kai Wen's experience as being equivalent right at the excavation site admirals are starting to show up and this is a situation that's like when friends or family are coming over for dinner or something and uh you're in the basement playing video games when they show up or playing with your obelisk whatever whatever you're up to down there i was surprised you weren't on the station when i arrived he should have been there to greet and he wasn't and so admiral Watley beams down uh feeling a little bit insulted by it yeah, and this is another extraordinarily lenient boss who, right. like, Cisco is really ranting and raving and really preoccupied with what he's doing. He's like, I'm not coming back to the station and doing some some shit where we have to sign some papers. Like, that's not that's not what I'm interested in right now. I'm interested in this. And Admiral Watley is like, he, you know, like, he, he expresses that he's a little bit dubious about this, but also is like, all right, well, you know, like, like, give it another couple of days. I'll give you some time. I mean, maybe Ben Sisko is a lot like Captain Picard with the archaeology. Maybe I should <laughs> allow this to play out. <laughs> maybe we'd have two Picards on our hands. All right. That would be pretty great. Love me some Picard. You're right, though. Uh, ben Sisko's head is not in the game, and it is a cause for concern at this point. Admiral Watley is lenient, but uh, Sisko's on notice here. Wiley's under a lot of stress, but it's like the kind of stress that an admiral should have the capability of dealing with. 
He's saying, like, you know, getting Bajor into the Federation was one thing, but now we have to bring the entire Bajoran militia into Starfleet. We got to have elections. There's lots of politics that needs to be seen, too. And it doesn't seem like that is a like a key man situation where without Ben Sisko, they can't accomplish it. Basically, the only thing Watley does is order a physical for Sisko, a physical that Sisko is 90 minutes late for. Because he has continued to see colors more brightly, and he's also like getting periodic headaches and stuff. Kind of little personal bangers are, are coming a little bit faster and more frequently. We cut to the exterior of the infirmary, and Cisco is kind of wading through the Bajoran population, doing that weird John Edwards-style psychic medium trickery. There's no need to worry. The cut-apart harvest will be much better this year. <laughs> yeah. He even street magics Admiral Watley outside. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell did he know that Kevin and I weren't getting along? He's the emissary. I'm surprised he didn't take off his uh, his action jacket and Benny Hinn a couple of people. Yeah. <laughs> Admiral Watley, like, spits out orange soda. How did you get it in my mouth? Please stop, you demon! I don't know. It seems like he is, like, seeing things on a higher level, right? He, like, walks up to that Bajoran guy. He's like, you don't belong here. Go home. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> go home for now? Go home forever? Am I allowed to leave? Yeah, that part was great. Kind of reminded me of of the guy that of of the false prophet guy. Yes. You know? Yeah, but uh, Ben Cisco doesn't have that kind of insight. He's too blissed out. Yeah. Bashir examines Cisco again, and Cisco is going on and on about this vision about locusts and clouds. Yeah. And uh, Watley is not a believer. Safe to say. No. I'll tell you what's up. I'm a Jew. They do the like the thing where they like stick stuff to his head. They're they're putting him through the medical ringer, and he he wakes up and has had a a pretty terrifying nightmare about like locusts clouding over Bajor and then heading toward Cardassia. And uh, Watley's like, hey, like dreams aren't always aren't always literal. <laughs> I love Watley trying to talk sense to someone who is clearly tripping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the chill-out tent does not go well, Enterprise. No, does not. Morn, 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 dear, sweet, morn, morn, morn. You near, buddy? Morn, stop, hammer time. And this sort of starts to set up a choice, a dynamic wherein Cisco is going to have to choose between visions or death, because Bashir says, like, your, your brain is starting to fall apart, like... I need to do brain surgery to repolarize something, something, something. Your basal ganglia are starting to depolarize. I'm going to have to operate. <laughs> it almost sounds like, like Jordy talking about an engine, the way Bashir is talking about Cisco's brain. Bashir's like, now I could lobotomize you. It's something that I've done very often on the station. How would you like to be someone else? With a yeah. new name and a new face. We've got this old Klingon here who's willing to go with the pretense that you're his son and you've, uh, <laughs> and you've lost your memory. We, uh, we pan over to a, a CRT TV VCR combo. Bashir pushes in the <laughs> tape and it's, it's Kern on the screen. He's like, how would you like to leave your past behind and assume a new identity? 
the dishonor of your family is no longer your problem. <laughs> With the Bashir method, <laughs> you will leave your problems behind. Dial the number at the bottom of the screen now for four easy payments of $49.99. The Bashir method can be yours. Bashir's like, so uh, what do you think? <laughs> I can put you on the schedule tomorrow. <laughs> it's it's life threatening. Like if Cisco doesn't agree to the surgery, he could die without it. That's the point. Right. Uh, but the cost is removing the ability to have the visions. And so that's the conflict. He talks that over with Jake and Cassidy, who suddenly just feel like the family, you know, like Cassidy is is just back integrated into the family unit. And she and Jake are arguing for like, yeah, like, don't die. Don't let this thing melt your mind. Like, we need you here. Look at Jake. He's 18. You know, like, watch him become a man and be like a be an adult. And and Cisco is like no like I feel like this whole this is like my new child and I want to see it grow up instead. The insanity of Ben Cisco's resistance to surgery and the idea of losing these visions, I feel like could be helped with dialogue a little bit because like we understand the context of Bahala as being a lost city and whatever, but we don't really have a way to uh, place it in the greater context of Ben Cisco's being the emissary or putting it in a in a religious context like it just feels separate from his emissariness and the religion in a way that makes it feel like this totally separate idea and so i could get on board with the idea of cisco being willing to die for an orb or for something having to do more closely with him being the emissary but this seems archaeological in a way that that never seems worth it you know, mm. like it seems more academic than religious. And that's where I'm I'm hung up. I guess if this lost city had been an established thing, then it might have been easier to make that leap. But because we've never heard about it before, it feels a, l- a little bit contrived. It wouldn't take much to uncontrive it, though. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's why I mean, like you can feel the script trying to put you in the position of 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 the middle but i was never in the middle of this conflict i was always seeing the insanity of ben cisco choosing to possibly die over the visions you know yeah and i think that like if this episode was putting you in the position of agreeing with kai win that would be such a more interesting tension right like ugh, i don't want to be on her side what yeah i never i'm never on her side this is uncomfortable and weird Jake and Cassidy's efforts to get through to him are insufficient because Cisco <laughs> talks about holding the universe like a baby. Uh, he has gone totally loco. <laughs> For loco, even. <laughs> He's got taurine, garana, <laughs> caffeine, and alcohol. He's too crazy for the Bajorinchler. Like, like the producers have, are going to have to sit him down. I didn't think it was possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what's worse is that Kai Wynn is being is taking it upon herself to help 
Captain Cisco in his journey. And that's always a bad sign because what Kai Wynn wants is often not what is best for you or our favorite characters. So she's like praying while he is orbing. And then while he's still orbing, she attends the ceremony where, you know, momentous document admitting Bajor into the United Federation of Planets is going to be signed. And the Admiral is like, oh, like, I feel a little weird, you know, starting this without him. But I guess if you say so, Kai Wynn. And <laughs> Cisco comes like stumbling in the door like, it's too soon. Bajor must not join the Federation. If it does, it will be destroyed. Yeah, and if one side of the conference room table are full of religiously minded Bajorans who are are already a little bit reluctant to make a decision <laughs> like this, a staggering, ranting, and raving Ben Sisko <laughs> is the thing that finally makes them full-on push back from that table. Yeah, they uh, they set their fork down and... Uh, and and put their napkin down on top of the lasagna. They are not going to eat anymore. This didn't need to go this far, because if Bashir had Dr. Beverly Crusher's sense of agency, like, Beverly was relieving Picard of duty all the time. Yeah. Where the hell is Bashir on this? <laughs> he basically turns to Cameron and shrugs his shoulders. Yeah. The question falls to Jake what to do. Yeah. Jake's got power of attorney. Yeah. Dad's nervous system is depolarizing. Cisco passed out, not wanting this surgery, and Jake decides, no, like we got to save his life. We gotta, we gotta do this. And this is a pretty, a pretty powerful scene for Sirach Lofton. He's definitely rising to the emotional challenges that this presents. I feel like. Yeah, he is often asked to grieve for his father. Yeah, you know, Cisco death is a frequent theme. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, he's good at it at this point. Um, Jake chooses the surgery because he's not an idiot. Do what you have to do. Prepare for surgery. Yeah, he's been, he's been raised well. Like, he's emotional because it's come to this. I don't think he's emotional because he's having a hard time making a decision. Right. So, uh, while, uh, while that's going on, we get another scene with Kira and Kai Wen, and Kai Wen feels like the doctor doing this surgery is another example of the Federation kind of meddling in Bajoran religious affairs. Kira makes a pretty interesting counterpoint to this, though. I think it's the thing that faith-based people have to confront fairly often. Like, are you a cafeteria faith-based person, or do you believe all of it? Because Kira's like, look, maybe this is part of the plan. All of it. Right. Maybe the plan wasn't a straight line. Maybe it's a bunch of zigzags. Yeah, you can't know. This, of course, is unsatisfying to Kai Wynn, because Kai Wynn only cares about winning. I suppose you heard that Bejor will not join the Federation today. Yeah, she she says, like, that at least before I knew who my enemies were. And it, that's such a weird way of thinking about what your role in the world is when you're a religious leader that's, you know... Yeah. <laughs> he would think that, like, your primary preoccupations would be, like, helping people practice their faith yeah. as well as they can, and not considering yourself as it, you against the world and you're picking and fighting enemies. Yeah. I think a great a great piece of dialogue that says a lot more than it uh, appears to at first glance. 
Uh, we get an elliptical edit, and Cisco comes to in the infirmary. He is distraught because he knows right away the visions are gone, the colors are back to normal. He's yeah. done tripping. You you took the voices out of my head. In Cisco's office later, uh, Watley asks him to convince the Bajorans to come back to the table and join the Federation. Interesting choice by Watley. Like, do you really want Cisco to be <laughs> to to come back into that conference room? I don't know. Yeah, I might transfer Cisco if I'm Watley. But that's sort of his point. He's like, you know, you're so important. You are the emissary. If you were anyone but the emissary, I would have transferred you long ago. Like, right. it's sort of, this is your situation. You're married to it, to the end. The, like, Starfleet doesn't feel like they can do anything to to move Cisco anymore. And that sucks for them because he's now gone directly against their orders of shepherding the Bajorans into the Federation. But it's like, uh, they, they're looking at the possible consequences here and they're seeing nothing but bad. And it, it's just degrees of bad, right? Because while they know Cisco is acting against their interests, they know removing him would be even worse because by yeah. taking the emissary off the game board, there's no fucking way Bajor would participate in the Bajoran chiller. Do you think Watley places any stock in Cisco's fear? Because I don't know. I don't know if we've even said it, but the vision that Cisco's had is that if Bajor enters the Federation now, it will mean the destruction of Bajor, and and it's not entirely clear what will precipitate that destruction. But it's it's just not it's not the right time for Bajor yeah. to enter the the Federation. And I wondered, like they definitely don't address it in the script. So I thought I wondered if there was meant to be an implication that is unspoken that Watley actually places some stock in that. Yeah, I mean, because Cisco definitely doesn't say no, he just says later. Right. The button on the episode is uh, is in Cisco's quarters, and Cassidy and Jake have prepared the welcome back dinner that it was Captain Cisco's job to make to begin with. Jambalaya is always a great way to end an adventure, I think. And in your case, I guess it's a way to start a whole new adventure. Uh-huh. <laughs> an, an alimentary adventure. <laughs> now it's kind of a welcome back to Ben Cisco. Welcome back to the real world. It's a case yeah. of stolen welcome back valor, Ben. <laughs> yeah. It's not fair. But uh, the episode ends with Jake Cassidy and Ben's hands all clust- clutched around each other. Yeah. You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it. Did you like it? I might just fall into the category of people who aren't super interested in the Bajoran religious episodes of Deep Space Nine. And I know there are a lot of them because when you read about the production of this show, this was something that the show strained against for a long time. Right. I think the problem with Bajoran faith-based episodes is that my own feelings kind of prevent me from both sizing the issue in a way that the episode is asking you to do, right? Right. I don't think I'm ever going to be on the side of the emissary and the emissary's choices as long as those choices sacrifice everyone else's interest for the narrow religious interest as we see them. And I think to a larger extent, I don't think a Star Trek future is possible with religious faith as it exists today. And so when I see what looks like a familiar religion in the future struggling to integrate itself with Federation values. It's just like frustrating to watch and it's unbelievable to me. 
Hmm. Yeah. I think when I can remind myself and come back to the idea that there's a way of thinking about the prophets as being a type of alien that has some kind of agenda that the Bajorans uh, have chosen to think of as supernatural. That really helps. It helps, but it's frustrating that the Bajorans would be so much subject to the whims of these aliens and so willingly subject to those whims. Like Kira is the one person who could actually cross the Rubicon, you know? Right. Like, she's been inside the wormhole. She has met the prophets. Like, she understands the context of them in a way that, that the hardline religious leaders couldn't possibly understand. Like, if she were able to cross the bridge into... God, even using, like, that terminology is religiously loaded. But, like, if she right. could come around <laughs> to the idea of of an understanding of the prophets that was more science-based. If she could be more like a operating Thetan level six or so. Right. If she could just get clear about what the prophets were, uh, she would be a great example to everyone else. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, I think that I always find these episodes really challenging and I totally feel your pain and yet I found this one really compelling, this watch through, for whatever reason. And uh, I think that like a lot of it is just that Avery Brooks is really good at doing these kinds of episodes yeah. in a way that is fun to watch. Yeah. And, and I guess the other thing is that when Kai Wynn gets what she wants, it's frustrating. And she doesn't get everything she wants. Like She gets what she wants in the context of having to accept Cisco as the emissary. Yeah which is a tough pill for her to swallow. Right. But she does kind of win in the end, and that's always a bad feeling. <laughs> but it's supposed to be. Yeah. This show does not shy away from a victorious Kai win at the end of an episode. Yeah. Weird. Real tone setter. Yeah. The symbol of victory at the end of every Greatest Gen episode is the reading of a Priority One message. It sure is, Adam. Want to go check those out? I would love to. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from the entity known as the Dith. <laughs> the message is for incoming code 47 message for Captain Lesoto. Okay. Message goes like this. You are the Troy to my Beverly, the Bashir to my O'Brien, the Loxana <laughs> to my Q, and the Loaf to my Nubbin. Wow. Thanks Those for, are complicated relationships. Thanks for always being up for my away missions and cosplaying in the holodeck. Remember, when I got you and your future first officer court-martialed for drunk and disorderly conduct, <laughs> remember the photons. Here's to Captain Lesoto, best wow. friend... I ever had. That is lovely. That's yeah. a that's a platonic P one. Yeah, this is uh, this is intended to celebrate Captain Lesoto's birthday. That's great. So happy birthday, Captain Lesoto. Yeah, happy birthday. Uh, we got another priority one message here, Adam. It is from Nebraska. <laughs> it's to Ben and Adam. Seems like the entire state of Nebraska maybe has sent us a message. That makes sense. It's a bad use of tax dollars, right? Well, it's it's very inexpensive if you go in as an entire state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that amortizes across yeah. everyone's tax returns is 
as mere pennies. Right. Uh, the message goes like this. I'm a little embarrassed to say I found and relied on a podcast that got me through a brain tumor diagnosis last year. You didn't put the inner light on your top five, but maybe you're not nubbin aliens. So, when St. Peter meets you at the pearly gates, he'll have only one question. When you were down there, did you two find yourselves a drunk Shimoda? Wow, a, a drunk Shimoda here on Earth. Does that make St. Mm. Peter a friend of DeSoto? <laughs> Sounds like it. Adam, you know what? You're my earthly drunk Shimoda. Hey, thanks, Ben. You're you're a great example of a person who's having the most fun, <laughs> and, and I aspire to it. <laughs> I wish I saw in me what others did. <laughs> <laughs> I so often get in my own way when it comes to having fun. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Nebraska, that is, uh, that is a scary diagnosis. I'm, uh, I am glad you're still with us, and I, uh, I hope that the prognosis is looking good. Whenever I think about how stupid our show is, I'm reminded from letters like these that it is helping someone in a big way get through a hard thing, and, uh, I am grateful to hear it, so yeah. thanks for that. Thank you. If you'd like to send a P1, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda in the episode? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, it came from a scene that we didn't talk about. There's a scene at... Oops. I- <laughs> we fucked up. <laughs> That's fine. I think we can pick it up during Shimoda's. I think we're, we're being efficient. Okay. Uh, it's at Ops. And it's where O'Brien, Dax, Worf, and Kira are, are are having kind of the faith versus science argument that you're never oh, supposed yeah. to have in a workplace. Yeah, keep it out of bars and workplaces. And O'Brien is doing that thing that I think I can get with. Like, he's he's being diplomatic. He's not really wanting to really get into it. And he sort of ends the conversation with, I hope you're right, Major. And then he sort of makes the O'Brien face of like, (laughs) it's basically a fuck off face by O'Brien. O'Brien not being a believer. Yeah. And like, it's diplomatic while at the same time stating aside, but not stating it because he's stating it with a face. Right. And uh, it's a face choice. And I like (laughs) it when actors do that. Yeah, And I want to recognize it with my Shimoda. He may not be having the most fun because those conversations are not fun yeah. in any way, but um, it's an interesting choice. I'm going to give mine to Cassidy Yates, and this is actually something we talked about quite a bit, but just the fact that she's like out of jail for three hours and suddenly running around in Star Trek caves. She is really game for it. You know? I would be so pissed. I would not... God bless Cassidy Yates. I would not consent to this trip at all. I would want to go straight to bed. Yeah, I want to. I would want to take a bath where I wasn't being watched by people with guns. Can you imagine the first like private dump? Oh man, it'd be full evacuation <laughs> for the first time in six months. Clean separation. Uh, one thing uh, that is so rarely clean, Ben. Hey, wait. Speaking of dumps, <laughs> can I tell you a story? Oh yeah, we've got all the time in the world this episode. The other day, we were on a uh, podcast, the Sci-Fi Wire uh, podcast about uh, horror movies, yeah. or I guess horror things, because sure. we were talking about Borg's episodes of TNG, 
and I had a I had a doctor appointment that I needed to get to. And so I took the fastest dump of my entire life because it was literally like I like got up from the desk, ran to the bathroom, dropped the deuce, cleaned up, ran to the car, made it to the doctor's in 10 minutes. What? And le- it usually takes me 10 minutes just to get to the doctor's. I mean, to me, it's not an official dump until your legs go numb. <laughs> I'm saying I did the whole the whole thing in under 10 seconds. Wow. I was very proud of myself. I was like halfway to the doctor's when it hit me how fucking incredible that was. That's a great day. That's a lost Ice Cube lyric <laughs> right there. <laughs> Took a dump, didn't even have to wipe. <laughs> Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Get that, get that gold press action. Am I right? Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books. They send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we do next on this dumb show? Oh, do we talk about the next episode? Is that what we do? Yeah, doing? we need to figure out how we're watching that next episode. If it is fast or if it is slow. Only one thing yeah. can tell us. It's the game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets. The next episode is season five, episode 11. The Darkness and the Light. A mysterious assassin targets members of Kira's resistance cell for execution. I'm going to fire up the game of buttholes here. Find out how, if any particular way, we will be doing this episode. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. It better be a normal way because I am going for a long drive soon. Okay. (laughs) Well, uh, all we can hit, I think, is a measure of a man episode. All right. Because we are on, we're 29. I think measure of a man's the only thing in range. All right. Uh, so, uh, let's see, let's see how it goes when I roll this bone. I have rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We are in square 32. All right. A regular old episode, and your drive will be unhampered by the influence of alcohol. No need for one of us to be the darkness and the other person to be the light. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been perfect. Right? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, well. Fine without the dirty tricks of Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. Yeah, the, the Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets has really been kind of relentless lately, yeah. so it's nice to have, it's nice to string together a couple of normal episodes. Yeah. Uh, some people relentlessly supportive of our show include those that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate or, in certain circumstances, MaxFunkenstein.sex. <laughs> that is true. We really appreciate the ongoing monthly support. It's uh, how we justify all of the time we waste on this show. And uh, it really doesn't feel like a waste because it feels like uh, we're doing this for you guys. Takes a village of nerds, nerds that include people like Bill Tilly, at Bill Tilly1973 is his Twitter handle. He is the creator of funny joke playing cards based on every episode. Yeah, and he also uh, puts those up on the Tumblr. Uh, you can find tweets about this show that use the hashtag greatestgen. There are Facebook groups, there are Reddit subs, there's probably a Discord or something. I don't really know what Discord is. But uh, there, there's all kinds of stuff all over the internet. Great friends of DeSoto to pal around with and, uh, and have positive interactions with. 
Hey, uh, if you're listening to the show on the day it comes out, we are on tour, and you can find out dates and times and locations at greatestgentour.com. Greatestgentour.com, the place to go to find out if and when we are touring. Indeed. we got to thank Adam Ragusia, who made our original theme music, and Dark Materia, who made the Picard song, Upon Which It Is All Based. Go to Max Fun's store to buy some merch. You can get a t-shirt or a glass or a hoodie. Go to StarTrek.com to learn more about Star Trek. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's probably a website. And with that, we'll be back to you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. You better bring a good supply of body bags for MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.